of the joys of the last few years um, has been uh, connecting with people from all over the world that God's bringing to Athens um, and really in uh, helping those people find a home there, uh, helping people connect, um, not just to our city, but to our community of faith and to the church itself. Um, and so part of that, it, we have uh, decided as a de- denomination there um, is to plant a new church, a multicultural church. And so I'm leading that. It has some uh, connection to the work that I was doing at Kent, where I work with international students and families. Um, but it's kind of uh, grown out of that and out of our love uh, to see all of God's people um, coming together from wherever they come from and uh, after whatever they have gone through uh, to be welcomed into one body together. Um, and so that church plan is underway. We have a core group um, that meets uh, once a week for prayer uh, and for planning. And we've started a couple of small groups. Uh, we have a small group uh, that meets in Chinese. We have a small group that meets in Farsi. We have one that meets in Greek. Um, we hope to start a few more, uh, maybe Arabic or Romanian or French or English. Uh, all the, we have all those people kind of represented in our in our sphere and in, in, in our group of contacts um, so the, we started those groups and the goal then is this fall to start bringing those groups together into a, a single worshiping body and then into a church so we're gonna uh, the goal is to meet once a month this fall in on sunday evenings for joint worship and then uh, launch after the new year uh, launch regular uh, sunday worship services so we're really excited about that it's it's uh it's just a neat phase uh, for us in ministry, uh, and we're learning so much about God uh, by growing together with a diverse group of followers of Jesus. Um, so pray for that group to come together. We can pray especially for God to raise up uh, Greek brothers and sisters um, who can uh, catch a vision for what this could be like and what we could build together there in the city. I want to turn our attentions now to the Word of God. Um, we are actually going to be in John, um, so uh, we're going to have just a, a quick change in uh, text here. We're in First John, I'm sorry, First John chapter 1, John's first epistle. The text in Romans is a great text, nothing against it, but we, uh, but we just changed our text. So we're in First John chapter 1, and we're going to read the whole chapter. 1 John 1, verse 1 through 10. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we've seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now let's open in prayer together. Lord, we thank you for uh, your word to us. We pray that you would speak by your spirit uh, to our hearts directly, Lord, and that um, you would open our hearts to receive uh, the good news of the gospel again uh, and to go deeper together as we follow our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I mentioned briefly the, the Greek Bible study that we have uh, going in Athens. <clears throat> and I have to say, it's one of uh, the most curious Bible study experiences I've ever had, um, and certainly one of my favorites. Um, our group, uh, of course, one variable that makes it interesting is that it meets in Greek, and I lead it. So there's always, always something exciting. Um, the, um, the group has a really great makeup. So we've got a um, dear brother from Palestine. He was born in Bethlehem. Uh, his wife is from Romania. Uh, they both speak Greek and English fluently. Uh, we have a Greek-American uh, from Wisconsin. I uh, have a Greek-Egyptian who grew up in the Greek church, and his father is an elder there. Uh, and then we have two young uh, ladies that have just joined the group who are Greek, uh, who met Jesus uh, online and uh, walked into our church and said, uh, we just uh, became believers last week watching some sermons on the internet and we don't really know what it's all about but we feel like Jesus is calling us to come here and so they also meet with us uh, every other week we sit down together and we read the text of scripture and we ask ourselves some simple questions who is God what are we learning here about God what are we learning here about ourselves and what does God want us to do in order to follow this and uh, the beauty of a diverse group of people is that the answers to those questions are not always conventional. They're not always the things that I learned in Sunday school about those texts. In fact, the different perspective from different cultures really highlights different things about God uh, that I find just so enriching and really full. And so as a study, it's, really, uh, it's a really rich experience. But the other thing that I love about this group, and I think that we're all enjoying together, is the chance to get to know each other. So we're learning about God, but we're also, and you know what it's like in a small group, and we heard about it this morning, is, is you, you develop a community together also. You develop uh, deeper relationships, and you get to know, each, you, you start to share life together, and you start to enjoy life together as a group. And that's what John is talking about here. He's talking about community. He, he talks about fellowship that we have with one another. We come into church often hoping to find that closeness. We hope that the church will be a, a warm place for us, that we'll be welcomed. Uh, we, we want our churches to be a welcoming place. And yet it seems that sadly so many of our relationships with others are the cause of so much stress and sadness in our lives, even in the church. <coughs> Why is it so difficult to get along with one another? Why do we find that the community that we long for is just maybe a little bit out of reach? Well, part of it is, is of course, because we live in a broken world. And so 
so you're not going to find a solution for that, and there's no silver bullet. But um, John tells us what it takes to draw closer together to one another and closer to God. He tells us that the relationships that we're really longing for in life are possible when we allow the light of the gospel, the light of God's presence, to illuminate every corner of our life. Relationships are complex, and the brokenness that we face (coughs) in the way in which we relate to one another is deep. And it isn't that those things will go away or that every relationship will suddenly go smoothly. Uh, we, we do hope that in the last day God will make all things new. And so we live in that hope, but we live also in this reality. But what we have is a baseline, a foundation for what healthy relationships do require that John gives us here. And it's, it's walking together in the light of God's love and in the presence of God together. That's where healthy relationships thrive and develop. And so we're going to come back to the idea of community here because it's really significant. But first I want to talk about this idea of light. The idea of light that's present in this text, especially verses 5 through 10. He says God is light and there's just this conversation about light and darkness. And first, first I want to mention that John uses a lot of very simple language. So the, the phrases themselves don't have difficult vocabulary. They're simple to understand, but there's a complexity and a depth to the content and what he's saying. And so we're going to take some time and just try to unpack that together. What is this light that John's talking about? Um, He's writing this letter at the end of his life. He's reflecting on all the things that he's heard. It's been years since he saw Jesus in person face to face, maybe 50 years since he actually saw Jesus. Jesus and walked with him, but he remembers very well that Jesus told him, I am the light of the world. And that metaphor makes sense to us because we naturally have this idea that light is good and darkness is evil. It's present in every plot of every you know, superhero movie. There's this light and there's this darkness and they compete each other against each other. And John is telling us, that that's, ex- that's exactly right, because Jesus is light. And God doesn't just give light, but he is light. <coughs> it's his essence. It's part of who he is to, to give off light. And I, Isaiah chapter 9 says that the people sitting in darkness have seen a great light. It's a person. It's Christ himself. He shines into the darkness of the world, into the darkness of our own hearts. Jesus says, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. What is darkness? Darkness is every place where light doesn't shine. Darkness used to be the top half of this room. I don't know if you remember, um, but you would look up and you really couldn't see anything. And so it was very pleasant to come in and look around and notice that now there is light up on the top, and it changes everything about how we feel in this space. The light and the dark are, in fact, enemies, and they can't exist together. They can't coexist at all. When you add light 
you just lose darkness just by definition. <clears throat> and where there is darkness, you can't have light. And the presence of God isn't like this room where there are still some dark corners. If you drop something in behind the padding in your chair, you're going to have to look really hard to find it. You might need a flashlight. If you drop something in a corner, there are dark places. There are places where the light just doesn't cover as well as others. But light, God's light, is everywhere and reveals everything. There is no darkness in him at all. And light reveals things not always in a good way. It's not always positive. Uh, so in our apartment where we were for seven years, we had an elevator, and we lived on the eighth floor, and so it was a long elevator ride. So I spent a lot of time in that elevator, going up and down every day, multiple times. <coughs> and on one wall of the elevator is a big mirror. And there were about 20 or 30 spotlights on the top of this mirror. and. Every morning I'd come out, I'd take the kids to school, and they'd get in the elevator, and I think I look great, and I'm all put together, and I'm ready to go out and see the neighborhood and see the world. And I get into the elevator, and all those lights are shining down, and I look in the mirror, and I think, oh, no, I look, I got, I got hair growing out everywhere. I look, I got wrinkles, I'm old, my, I got gray hair here, and all the things you never saw inside, when that light shines on them, you recognize, you just want to go and hide. You recognize there's a lot more here going on than I expected. And so the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus, is not always good news. In fact, it's something that we have to wrestle with because um, it exposes things and it exposes dark corners. It exposes dark corners in our hearts. And that's not always the most exciting prospect. But the light doesn't lie. It, it shows us exactly what there is. It exposes things exactly as they are. And so a lie doesn't exist where there is light and there is truth. And so mixed in with this idea of light and darkness is this idea of truth and lying. And John talks a lot about lies and he talks a lot about um, telling the truth and being honest here in this text. <coughs> so there are places in our hearts where there is darkness. There are dark corners where we keep deep sin, where we keep it covered. Maybe we're not always honest with other people. And that has an effect on the relationships that we have one with another. That affects the way we relate first thing we see is that darkness ruins relationships. When we talk about healthy relationships, we use words like trust and openness and honesty and truth-telling and transparency. But in reality, our relationships, sadly, are often full of manipulation and lying and pain and half-truths and fear and speculation, gossip, misunderstandings, and the list could go on and on. And there are three basic lies that we tell ourselves that John has, has outlined for us here. <coughs> the first lie is in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while, while we walk in darkness, we lie. 
first lie is to say, I know I have a lot of sin and darkness in my life, but I think I have a pretty good relationship with God. Because the relationship between light and dark, this is actually impossible. There isn't any tolerance for darkness when there is pure light. And God doesn't tolerate darkness just, just not, it's not just because he doesn't like it, but it's because it's, it's the opposite of his essence. It's the opposite of, of who he is. And it can't actually exist in his presence. If he is light, there can be no darkness. John is right. The lie says, I'm good enough. God isn't that strict. I can live with a little bit of sin. I can keep this corner just a little bit dark and still be a pretty good follower of Jesus. But John says really clearly because of God's character, that isn't true. <coughs> in fact, if we walk in darkness, we can't have fellowship with God, no matter how we spin it. Um, John in chapter 2 talks about hating your brother and sister as an obvious way to prove that you are walking in darkness, holding a grudge, refusing to forgive, using your words to hurt other people. If you hate others, you just simply cannot have fellowship with God. The second lie is in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That lie says, I don't have anything to hide. I don't have a sin problem. I'm not worried about covering it up. I don't have any issue there. And this is a lie we tell ourselves. Maybe you don't claim to be perfect, but we kind of live that way often, though. It's just, it's a, it's just a spiritual reality that, uh, it's a false reality that we try to live in. We try to tell ourselves. <coughs> maybe, maybe we know it's not true, but we try to drown it out with social media, uh, with entertainment. But the, and, and we ignore the fact that there is sin in our hearts because there's really nothing fun about looking into your heart and examining motives and digging out those dark places. And so it's a lie of denial. But of course we know that Paul says in Romans chapter 3 that there is none righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. And so this is a blatant lie. The third lie is in verse 10. It says, if, if we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. <clears throat> and now we have, now it's our word against God's word. And the third lie then is, is, is to try to convince yourself that God can't tell you what's right and wrong. It's to try to say that God doesn't know what's best. I haven't sinned because I'll decide what sin is. But God's really clear with us about what it takes to follow him. He gives us really a definitive uh, law to follow. <coughs> He's written his law on our hearts. We all understand, even if you don't know where it is in the Bible, you know that we shouldn't kill each other, we don't take advantage of the poor, we, shouldn't, uh, we need to take care of the world around us. These are common baseline truths that, that, that the world knows about God. He's written that law on our hearts. And we, people of the book, people of God, followers of Jesus, we have his specific commands about how he wants us to live. And when we try to say we know better, John says we're calling God a liar. And we're saying, I hear you speaking, God, but I know best. And in fact, what you say, God, just isn't true. 
truth may sound like trite little lines, and you may, you may say to yourself that you don't struggle with those lines. But I want you to think for a minute about the conversations that you have all the time with yourself, because there's always that conversation. You know, I'm not, we're, not, we're not crazy. It's just an internal conversation that we have with ourselves, right? What is the way that you explain your sinfulness to yourself? Not the way you try to explain it to other people, but how do you explain it to yourself in those quiet moments when the guilt starts to rise up, when the accusation of the Spirit comes? What are the lies that we tell ourselves? And we tell ourselves these lies for a good reason, because the truth is too hard to bear. The truth behind these lies is, I, had, I do have sin in my life. I can't have a relationship with the God of light. I do have a sin problem. <coughs> God has decided what's right and wrong, and I have disobeyed his law. I do have dark corners in my heart, and I admit that, and I think we all, if we're honest, have to say that. The light's too incriminating, and it exposes us. <coughs> and so there's shame, and there's guilt, and there's fear of punishment. How can we admit that God's law is actually good and true? How can we step into the light as John is calling us to if we all know deep down that we are going to be exposed and so we live in the shadow and our relationship suffers because we aren't open about who we really are and we don't have that freedom to be open with each other. We, we don't then have the healthy friendships we want and we don't find the acceptance that we've hoped for. And believing these lies just leaves us with no good choices. <coughs> but of course, um, we can rejoice because we have great and hopeful news about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the first good news that we find here is that telling the truth about our sin brings forgiveness through Christ. Verse 9. Just a, just a wonderful summary of the gospel. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's this act of confessing, of confessing our sins. And that is to let light shine on them, right? To admit what is true about those things. That's the process of confession, right? It's to, it's to invite the light into the dark areas to speak truth about those things. Yes, it's still there. We say that the sin is, the sin is there. <coughs> um, I'm not loving others the way I should. Um, I, I do struggle in this area of my life. Or I am, and even the sin of hiding things. Lord, I do confess that I have been hiding these things, that I live a double life in some way, in some sphere of my life. You know, God's not deceived. He already knows your heart. And so he calls us to be honest with ourselves and with one another. And we find God to be the bringer of good news. We find him to be faithful. We find him to be just. And we find him to be a forgiver of sins. And so for us, it's just a simple acknowledgement of this reality that, that faith 
in Jesus Christ brings the cleansing, brings the washing. The blood of Jesus himself cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The darkness and the disobedience, which should be crushed by the light, right, which should be flushed out and destroyed to our own peril, is actually gently washed away by the blood of Jesus. And then having been washed, we can boldly step into the light without fear of being exposed, without fear of being destroyed. It's a, it doesn't mean it's not a painful process. It doesn't mean that there aren't, that there aren't, um, that there isn't a punishment for sin, that we, there isn't pain that comes from living a sinful life. It doesn't mean that, that you haven't caused brokenness around you and that we don't live in a broken world, but it does mean that at, at the heart of our sinfulness, we find desolation. It does mean that Jesus washes that sin away and he takes the ultimate judgment for that sin. And so we can walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with one another because of the gospel. We have that joy of no longer pretending that we're all perfect or trying to pretend like we have somehow earned favor with God the worst traps of all. And we have freedom. We also see that living in the light with God restores fellowship with one another and with God. So we have this, <coughs> we have this forgiveness that we experience, but then we have this restored relationship. We have this fellowship with one another. And you have this great picture of God who is light and who is in the light and us joining him, walking in the light with him. The blood of Christ creates this opportunity. And it reminds us of, of our life before the fall. It reminds us of the Garden of Eden when, when there's this perfect fellowship, where there's this walking in the light day after day, Adam and Eve in the garden with their creator. And that's what God calls us to, to walk in the light as he is in the light. And John tells us in verse 7 that that opens the door then for fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now, we long for deep relationships. <clears throat> the gospel says, you're a sinner. You prefer to live in the darkness. Step out into the light and look down at your face. And see that your rags have been exchanged for the glorious white robe of my son, Jesus Christ. Look what he has given you. Come without fear. Come walk with me. And come all of you together and walk as one in my presence. And so I encourage you this morning to bring your sin to the cross. To confess your sins, to speak truth about what they are, and then to discover the freedom that God gives to us when we come in faith. That's the task of following Christ, reminding ourselves regularly of this gospel, living in it, returning to it every time we are tempted to believe the lies or the darkness creeps in again. And life in the gospel changes you. Because you're free to love others 
in a new way because you experience this freedom. You're not scared to love boldly because Jesus risked everything to come and love you. And you're slow to judge others because you know that without the gospel of Jesus Christ, you would also be living in that same way, still walking in darkness. And we're often crippled in our relationships because we are afraid to admit when we've wronged others. We're too self-righteous. We're not vulnerable. We're not authentic. We need to be a grace-filled community characterized by forgiveness. That's what God calls us to be as his church. And this also should characterize every relationship in our lives. So it's the church together, but this is also the way that we treat one another in our homes with our children, with our parents, in your marriage with your spouse, in your workplace, to be to be honest about who you are and to be confident in who you have become through Christ. And so for all who are living in shame and fear and guilt, this is good news for each of us today. Christ died for sinners. His blood washes us and we're invited to live in his glorious light. And for those who long for connection and deeper relationships, I invite you to come and to experience life together with the body of Christ, walking in the light, <clears throat> sharing life together with people who refuse to believe those lies, who are willing to live and to walk in the light with our loving and our gracious God. And maybe you never imagined that you might have a relationship with God himself. But John says in verse 3, Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We all want to be known. And at the same time, we're all scared of being fully known. But the gospel makes that possible. Through Jesus, we can be fully known and still loved. And that's the foundation of the love that we have for one another. Let's allow these truths to change our hearts today. Let's walk together in the light of God. Let's be a community of faith that is known for being honest and transparent and, and forgiving. And let's joy, enjoy the gospel again this morning. Lord, we thank you that you shine in all of the dark places in this world. We thank you, Lord, that you are present where it seems like there is no hope. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, that we are light in places where it seems like there is no presence and no, no good. And Lord, we pray that you would use us to bring light. We pray that your light would shine into our hearts. We pray that you would bring healing to relationships that are broken that you would bring, Lord, through honest communication and through forgiveness and through confession, that you would bring peace to your church. We pray for broken relationships between friends, between siblings, between co-workers, between neighbors. We pray that we might be the bearer of good news into those broken places. 
asking you to do that, Lord, because it's beyond our scope and beyond our strength, Lord, to, to fix those things. And for our as we know, we know that only you bring true peace and restoration. And so help us, Lord, to be honest with ourselves. Forgive us for the lies we have told ourselves and others and pray that you would again just wash us with the blood of Jesus. And so we rejoice in the gospel and run to that. We thank you for your spirit, the spirit of peace that works in our hearts and brings us to peace. In Jesus' name we pray.